0: We were working to maximize the authorities we have and the tools we have and when the facts changed and the circumstances changed we changed the strategy. We didn't implement a flawed strategy, we implemented a strategy that worked. Say money, money won't get you too far, get you too far.
1: Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Laura Conaway. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Today is Tuesday, November 18th. It's about 4.26 p.m. here in New York City. That was Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson you just heard. Paulson was telling Congress today why the Treasury has moved away from the original bailout plan, that $700 billion plan to buy up toxic assets from banks. David, you've got a piece on all things considered about this tonight, right?
2: I, I do. It's about these uh, two professors at the University of Maryland who are still attached to what was plan A for the government, which was to buy up all those toxic securities. And they ran this great experiment using students instead of banks where the students, if they did it right or if they cheated, could make a lot of money.
1: So do they see any chance that Treasury is going to try this again?
2: Uh, it doesn't look good now, but there is a new administration coming in, so uh, they're hopeful.
1: So, David, what else is going on out there?
2: We're going to be talking about the credit rating agencies in a little bit, because last weekend, as you know, there was the meeting of the, the G20, the leaders of some of the world's largest economies. And one of the things they put on their list was that they wanted to fix up the world's credit rating agencies.
1: We get a lot of complaints about that or questions about that from listeners wanting to know why the credit ratings agencies said everything was OK in the first place.
2: Right. And they turned out not to be. Yeah. But uh, first, we have some Planet Money indicators.
1: Oh, yes. I have this. The confidence of home builders, the people who actually put up the houses we like to buy, that confidence has sunk to its lowest level in 13 years. Like and
2: confidence that house is going to fall over?
1: I think so. <laughs> the, uh, the National Association of Home Builders Housing Market Index, that's a mouthful, it dropped down to 9 in November, just so you can tell what that means. It was 19 at the beginning of the year. Now, wow. it's the lowest it's ever been since they started doing this survey back in 1985.
2: Uh, I have another uh, bad news number. The producer price index dropped to a new record low. So this is an index that measures the prices people who make and sell things are getting for what they make and sell. Uh, and it dropped 2.8%. It was the biggest since the record, since they God. started keeping records back in 1947.
1: Is that all the sales we see in stores?
2: Uh, I think it's without the. Yeah, I suppose that's, that's part of it, right? <laughs> Everything's is that, on sale. Is that people can't sell, it, so they're they're cutting the price. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so, which to me raises the specter of deflation, and I think I'm not really alone in that.
2: There is one thing which that's on the rise, which is the purchase, uh, the purchases of U.S. Uh, government bonds, and uh, particularly China, which in September the new numbers come out came out um, bought more than Japan, and the total amount of U.S treasury bills treasury bonds that china owned do, has now doubled in size from since 2005 they own close to 600 billion dollars in us government debt
1: and that's just the treasury's part
2: that's just the treasuries yeah the treasury bills so actually and you were just you were just in china last week
1: yeah i was and actually they they think that um uh, that several people i talked to on the street said that china is getting to finance america's financial crisis and they think that's Kind of darkly funny. Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Do they feel proud about that?
1: No, they don't feel proud about that. And they're not really happy about it at all, 201. I would have to say that being there was really, um, you know, intense. And it makes you really feel the collision between capitalism and communism in China. I was there for a course with half a dozen Chinese journalists and half a dozen American journalists. And Mm -hmm. they never really let us out. Basically, we got out into the world, but everywhere we went, there were reminders. Um, if you took you out, mean a, like
2: really like a crowd of people following you around?
1: Well, uh, not a crowd, but, you know, a couple of well-placed people. I took out a microphone in Tiananmen Square, which immediately drew quite a large crowd of, of uniformed people. And... You know, you kind of wonder because in a way you're still seeing a lot of state control over life in that way, media life certainly. But in a business sense, everything is just capitalism, capitalism, capitalism. Businesses are competing. Businesses are starting. Cities are looking for funding for their big projects. I went out one night with a Chinese journalist. I can't tell you her name, which will tell you something about the state of things in China. And she looked out around on the street corner. It's a classic sort of street corner scene in Beijing. Lots of cars going everywhere. Lots of bicycles going everywhere. Vendors, uh, people collecting scrap metal on their bikes. And I asked her if she could see communism on that corner, and she said no, but she could see capitalism. And for her, it's really kind of a
3: mixed picture. I think capitalism uh, injected a lot of energy into Chinese society make things uh, a little bit more flexible than before and make our life's uh, standard improved way lot before than before. And then, but in the other way, capitalism destroyed a lot of uh, uh, moral structure that we had in the past, including the moral structure we built um, during the Mao's period. So nowadays, um, people have lost a lot of uh, uh, belief. You can, you can bring it belief or some uh, moral ground. And then there is a lot of uh, uh, un- insecurity within people's heart for everything. Uh, and then that's the bad side of the capitalism. But I mean, the the, society, uh, the government, Apparently, uh, doesn't go deep to reveal that, and then it's not doing enough, in my point of view, to make the social welfare system uh, performed well enough to make people feel secure.
2: What does she mean? Destroyed uh, the moral structure.
1: I think what she means is that there's no longer sort of a uniform sense of, of how to behave. And another thing people talk about is life inside these giant kind of factory cities where you pick up and move to a different place. They took us to one um, that's actually they're hoping to build in the city called Tianjin, And it's it's an enormous port. It's supposed to be, and it's a large port already, but it's supposed to be something like 220 square kilometers with factories and housing. And it's not there now at all which means that it will eventually include all these people who may or may not have roots anywhere near there who are sort of lost and lonely kind of in a Wild West way.
2: I can imagine it's just hard to switch to the kind of competitiveness of the free market, or that might be hard. You know, It might be jarring, sort of.
1: Well, I think one of the things that has happened is, with the economic downturn, they're seeing a lot of factories go under. And all of a sudden, people who had uprooted their lives to go and work in them have, have nowhere to go. And the government is having to step in, in some cases, and, and hand out payments like crazy, where they never did before, just in order to keep the public from flipping out, basically.
2: Right. The wild and woolly ways of capitalism.
1: Yeah, there they are right there. David, speaking of wild and woolly ways, I missed the entire G20. Like, I read almost nothing of it.
2: Yeah. Too bad for you, huh? (laughs) Yeah, what'd you do? (laughs) There there was a fist bump, apparently. Uh Uh, Uh-huh. That's that's according to the, you know, the press pool report. Actually, very few reporters got to go... (laughs) Uh, watch all this so we, we're left with the sort of dispatches they sent out but apparently before the photo i think at the end sarkozy of uh, france uh offered a fist bump to bush and bush reciprocated <laughs> i actually went to uh this is nicolas sarkozy um uh president of france and he's president or he's president right french yeah this is Nicolas Sarkozy, the French president. I actually went to his press conference after the G20 meeting. It was at the Willard Hotel. Do you know that? It's a pretty fancy hotel. No, but I, you, I hope he got you got a fist bump. <laughs> no, but it was um, – actually, in the back of the room, some of the chefs from the restaurant at the hotel had, had – I think they were French chefs. They were wearing their chef outfits. We were there just to, <laughs> to try and catch a piece of it. But, so you know, what struck me was Sarkozy was he was almost gloating. He was – with, with what had been accomplished. Because he was proud because he had helped organize this thing, but he was really boasting about what they'd accomplished. I'm going to play you a piece of tape and you see if you can guess what he's talking about. It is going to be in French.
0: Je note quand même la nécessité d'enregistrer les agences de notation qui seront désormais soumis à surveillance. Jamais, jamais, ce point n'avait été accepté, disons, dans le monde anglo-saxon. Jamais. Les agences de notation seront désormais enregistrées, mis sous surveillance. Well, Any I mean, it, what that was about?
1: It, I think it had to do with uh, credit ratings agencies, yes. Very. Good. I win the yes. prize. Yes. Did you know that yes. in
2: advance? Yeah. Um, well, he, yeah, he, he. I'll just paraphrase. He said. Uh, he basically said, you know, the crediting agencies are going to be under regulation. Here's here's part of what he said. He said, never, ever has this point been agreed to or accepted in what I would describe loosely as the Anglo-Saxon world. Rating agencies will be registered and they will be monitored. Uh-huh. So, right. As you pointed out, you know, these rating agencies have been blamed by some people for not really doing their job. These are the S&P and Moody's that the place is their job to say, this bond, it's very safe. It's AAA or it's AA. And, of course... They applied those ratings to a lot of mortgage-backed securities, which triple A man, which turned out not to be so triple A. Yeah. Uh, so I actually went through. You know, Sarkozy, Sarkozy said that, so I went and looked through the text of the G20 declaration. And you know, it's it's really hard to figure out what it means, like what they're what they're yeah. calling for. So yeah. I called uh, Joseph Mason. He's a professor of banking at Louisiana State University. Uh, he was not very impressed with what the G20 had laid out.
0: It's hard to see where the the stick is in this approach that is where the Europeans will force rating agencies to step up to the plate this time around.
2: Sarkozy was so proud of this part, this part of the agreement.
0: I I think that the pride comes because the US may have finally admitted that ratings agencies are subject to something other than protection under First Amendment free speech provisions. Uh,
2: you mean they're supposed to do more than just say whatever they want,
0: right? And in fact, that idea of just saying whatever they want and being able to be protected by the First Amendment has... Are you been, serious it, about First
2: Amendment? Or are you making a joke there?
0: No, no. They're they're uh, they're publishers. They are reporters, just like yourself. They are not uh, anything more. So. And that's not to to denigrate your role, but uh, similarly, yeah, thanks a lot. There. whatever opinion about a, a firm and uh, not be held responsible for that opinion to any degree of accuracy or reasonability. And no, ratings agencies have indeed had that protection now for some time.
2: But but that their job is to actually provide a double AA, A, triple A, you know, a, a grade for investments uh, so people have some sense of what it is they're buying,
0: right? And that's been called the world's shortest editorial to, to summarize the grade. But, of course, an editorial is nothing that you can be held to for investor losses or any responsibility for being correct or having looked at recent data or done any work to properly evaluate the firm.
2: So you've been a big critic of the rating agencies. I mean, I think you feel like if they'd done their jobs, we might not be in the mess we're in.
0: Well, if they'd done the job that we thought they were going to do, now I have to admit, even in the U.S., we never specified their job as being an arbiter of risk, at least in with a, a legal or fiduciary responsibility for doing so. While they were protected by this First Amendment uh, classification as a publisher, we also did rely upon them to be the arbiter uh, to establish risk in, in many credit products for use in regulatory purposes.
2: I know the G20 wording here is sort of vague, but can you make a guess? I mean, what is it they're hoping to do when they talk about registering these? What do they mean and what would that? how might that help?
0: Yeah, I mean, registration per se doesn't mean anything. That just means that we have a list of of who are the approved rating agencies, and that's much like the U.S. nationally recognized statistical rating organization list, the NRSRO list, so we know who the culprits are. But that list in and of itself doesn't give any regulatory authority or ability to change the behavior of those those firms.
2: So what does Sarkozy mean when he says that the rating agencies will be registered and they will be monitored?
0: Well, monitoring is the next step up to begin to gather information about what rating agencies are doing, Uh, but monitoring doesn't require any special authority, nor does it confer any enforcement authority, and in fact, I think that is probably the biggest problem on the horizon, that there needs to be, at the very least, an ability to act upon that monitoring to perhaps remove the institution from the approved list.
2: Is there some country that does this right that you think we could use as a model?
0: No, nobody's got it right so far. Um, nobody at all. It, the, the key shortcoming here is that not every financial instrument can be reliably rated. When you have brand new subprime mortgages introduced to the market, not enough is known about the historical performance of those mortgages. For any rating agency, no matter how talented, to go out and predict, and because ratings involves prediction, and prediction relies upon some historically observed performance. So, without that, we can we can never rate these new products. And the first step toward a, a, a realistic rating paradigm is to admit such.
2: Just just to come back to the G twenty for a second. When you looked at what the G20 wrote down with respect to the rating agencies, does that give you any hope? Do you feel like they're on the right track?
0: Unfortunately, the, the G20 statement is is pretty much more of the same that we've seen before. No real hope of, of uh, vast improvement yet, and um, indeed, I think it's just more of a general statement to allow rating agencies to continue to sit on the sidelines unreformed, uh, hoping to wait out this crisis and get back to business as usual.
2: Thanks to Joseph Mason, professor of banking at Louisiana State University.
1: That's going to do it for us today on Planet Money. Check us out at npr.org money, where I posted a picture of a taxidermy chicken in a kind of a holographic box. <laughs> and I'm Laura Conaway.
2: And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thanks for listening.